Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. If you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 3. We are studying the letter written to Philadelphia. Uh, No cheesesteak or Liberty Bell, Philadelphia, the one. Okay, bad joke. There we go. Starting out strong. Pastor Sean come up and he was like, this morning, he's like, are you going to walk up to like Fresh Prince? You know, West Philadelphia, born and raised. And then Gary was asking, he's like, you should walk up to like the Rocky music when he comes up the stairs and... And I, I was really sad to tell him I've never seen the Rocky movie, so I don't really know what you're talking about. So our friendship is strained right now, so you could be praying for that. But Revelation chapter 3, looking at the church in Philadelphia, which we understand just because of the, the city here in the States, uh, the city of brotherly love, and that is the definition of Philadelphia. Uh, Philo being a uh, Love is a, it's a biblical term for love, meaning more of a brotherly love, where an agape love is a love from God. And you got a phileo love, which is brotherly love. And then there's other words that are used for love to define a marriage and what would happen there. And so that's kind of the fun parts of Scripture is, you know, digging into some of those original Greek words and understanding that it's a different context uh, that are being used. So we might just read love, but is it which word is being used here? And adelphos, meaning brother. So that's where you get the city of brotherly love. And so to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come, bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Kind of a crazy thought there. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." And so as always, we kind of keep reiterating that we go back to Revelation 1, we see that full description of Jesus and some of those characteristics that are used are now uh, used to point to the different churches. They don't give them all, but just a few of them. And what we see here in the church in Philadelphia, it's the words of the Holy One, the true one, he who has the key of David. And so that's the key part of the description of Jesus as it's talking to this church in Philadelphia, because he says, I have set before you an open door. 
So let's just talk about those words for a little bit. Usually when you see that word open door, it's a ministry opportunity. It's usually evangelistic in nature, and nothing and no one can shut that open door of ministry that Jesus sets before us. We just simply need to walk through it. And that's the hard part about ministry is a lot of times there's an open door that the Lord has for us and we are called to walk through it. But a lot of times we want that person's open door. That's a shiny open door. I like that open door. I don't want the open door Jesus has for me. We covet, we want that other person's open door. And we question God's goodness. Why don't I get that door? Why are you giving that to them and you're not giving me any kind of an open door like that? Or on the other side of the spectrum, we just run after whatever door is closed and we beat on it like we're the cops breaking in and trying to allow Jesus to do what we want instead of aligning our lives to him, aligning our lives to him and asking him, what's the open door for us? And here's the key aspect. All of us as followers of Jesus, and I'm gonna step out in a little bit assuming and a little naivety and think, yes, we are all followers of Jesus. That means every one of us has an open door of ministry. That all of us are on mission. That there's no follower of Jesus who says, you know what, you just hang out there, don't do anything. I love that you had that little prayer of faith and yeah, don't do anything for me, don't change your life, just keep living how you want and because you said a little something one day and snotted and cried and had this emotional moment, yeah, you're good for the rest of your life. No. Every one of us is a follower of Jesus has an open door of ministry before us. Some of us know it, and we're fighting against it, we'll talk about that. Other of us don't know it, because we're not looking for it either. But every one of us has an open door of ministry before us. And a lot of times we think they have to be these big, grand, nice, double doors, revolving doors, glass, and, and gold covered. Sometimes the greatest steps of our faith are actually gonna be very simple decisions, very easy, simple doors that we need to walk through. And so nothing can shut this door, this ministry door that Jesus would put before us, but we can refuse to walk through it. And we do that for many of reasons. Now, this is way of description, not prescription. So if you feel convicted, that's from the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you my testimony about having open doors of ministry before me and saying no. And here's the other part of it. No one is batting a thousand on walking through every open door of ministry that Jesus has set before him. But how quickly we will doubt him who is faithful. Is that really an open door, Lord? It's like, I don't even see your goodness. Like, there's, I don't even get a door. I don't get a doormat. I even want the ring little doorbell. I get nothing. And we, we doubt God's faithfulness. And we don't look at the open doors of ministry that he has. We'll easily dismiss him who is powerful. Could God really change this situation? This will never happen. This just feels like a closed door. I just keep hearing no, 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 no. There's never gonna be an open door. And so we, we easily dismiss the power of God and how slowly we obey him who is worthy. So even at times when we do see the open door, I'll get to that, Lord. I just got some other things I need to work on. And we take our next step and it looks like that, which is okay. At least we're moving but the Lord is still faithful and gracious to us in extending his hand and saying, walk with me. He doesn't say crawl with me. He doesn't say stand around with me. He's not telling us to sprint ahead. Just walk with him. 
walk with me through this open door. And normally in sermons, I don't like to quote uh, a lot of other theologians or pastors um, more out of ear protection than really mine because I'll say anything. But a lot of times you quote another pastor or theologian and you'll split the congregation. Half of you'll be like, oh, stamp of approval. You quoted him, so everything that you say, pastor, is so good because you quoted him. And then the other half of you, I hate that guy. And there's no truth that comes out. So I never rarely quote, but I'm gonna give a quote of Billy Graham. If you have a problem with Billy Graham, you got something wrong with your life, okay? He's like one of the only ministry theologian guys that I know of that even after him walking into glory, his ministry reputation stands and that he hasn't been attacked even after glory, which there's some really smart dudes that can't hold to that. So I fully believe Billy Graham was the real deal, but I love his quote. Actually, first, before we get into it, sidetrack. You know what Billy Graham said about Chuck Smith, the guy that started the whole Calvary Chapel movement? Maybe you watched the movie. He was the bald guy that was going down to the beach and sharing the gospel and baptizing hippies. You know what Billy Graham said about Chuck Smith? He said, if you're a young pastor, if you would example your ministry off of Chuck Smith, you will do very well for the kingdom of God. That's what Billy Graham said about our Calvary Chapel movement. I kind of like that. And so Billy Graham says, it's, it's quoted to him, that the will of God will not lead us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Because a lot of times we look at those open doors of ministry, which is absolutely the will of God in our life, that he is putting something before us, that there is an expectation for us to walk through it, right? It's not trick or treat where we get to know, knock on the door and maybe we get some candy from that door. No, no he wants us to walk through that door. He's not putting it there just to, hey, look at all the doors of ministry I have, and we can compare to others who maybe they have like a little hobbit door or whatever. No, that's not the reason for it. That the the will of God in our lives is him placing open doors of ministry before us. And at times, because of our lack of faith or our disobedience or our partial obedience, which is disobedience, still called a sin, we don't want to walk through that. And we can say that for a lot of reasons. But understand that whatever the Lord puts before you, his grace is there as well. And I fully believe to the core of who I am as a pastor that none of us, this side of glory, have a full understanding of the grace of God. That I don't think anybody has ever arrived, pastors included, to a full understanding of the power of the grace of God for our lives. And so how do we walk in something that we don't fully know? Well, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to what it means to walk with Jesus. But when we see that open door before us, we have to know that whatever he is calling us to walk through, the grace of God will sustain us in it and through it. And if, you, if you're gonna doubt anything, doubt, doubt your own ability, don't doubt the grace of the leading, the sustaining presence of God. Because when Jesus puts an open door before us, it is meant to be walked through. And a lot of times we, we might struggle and it's like, oh, why, why does the Lord need me to do that? Can't he find somebody else to do that? It's usually what we say when we talk about cow kids, right? Like, I don't want to watch kids. Can't we find somebody else to do that? It's like, that's not my ministry. Like, what does he need me to do that? Well, a couple corrections. He doesn't need you to do it at all. 
The Lord's not up in heaven pining and, oh, I just hope I could get Jeff. If Jeff could just do that for me, that'd be so great. And, and then when he answers the call, you know, God's just so happy. Oh, yes, he said yes. He's not the middle school girl waiting to be asked to the dance. That's not the Lord. He does not need anything. That would be an attack of his character if you want to go that far. It's not that he needs this done. It's not the work that he wants to do through us, which is important. It's the work that he wants to do in us as well. See, a lot of times those open doors of ministry is not necessarily the work that he wants to do through us. It's the work he wants to do in us. And a lot of times we will say things like, I just feel a little bit distant from God. I want to press into the fullness. And those are all great, wonderful things. I want to be used by God. I want to have that close relationship and passion for the Lord and for the gospel. Amen. But that will not happen without walking through open doors of ministry. Period. That there is not a, a great man of God that has not walked through many doors. And, he, and, and the Lord is faithful in and, and multiple ways. He's not gonna give you this crazy open door ministry that you have no capacity whatsoever to walk through, right? Like my first ministry job wasn't being the senior pastor of a church. If that was the case, you guys would be in some serious trouble, right? And the pastor search committee did not do their job well. There needs to be a seasoning to us. There needs to be a maturing and I know there's still some maturing that needs to happen, right? We're still working on that. We're all in process. Some of you, the same. But you know what my first ministry job, job was? Upward basketball with fifth and sixth grade boys. I said, Lord, I struggle with a lack of patience. What would you do in my life? Boys basketball, let's go right here, right? And you're gonna be in a league where they can't even keep score, but every kid on the team did, right? And then halfway through practice, you're gonna to try to settle down, you know, these flying squirrels that are on cocaine, and you're gonna lead, sorry, I said cocaine in a sermon. <laughs> Don't quote that on Facebook, be like, oh, that quote really hit me, Pastor, right? So I try to sit all these crazy boys down, and then I'm gonna lead in a Bible study. Yeah, because that's really what I wanted in the middle of basketball practice as a fifth grade boy. There's a seasoning. That's, that's the first thing I did, volunteering, little things like that. That if I would be found faithful in little things, would the Lord not see me faithful in bigger things? That's almost scriptural. Somebody should write that down. It almost sounds pretty good. And so look at these open doors of ministry that Jesus has for you. Because a lot of times we will puff ourselves up and think, oh, I can do so much more, so I won't walk through that door. I know I can bring more to the table for Jesus, and so I don't need to waste my time on these little things. If we can't be faithful in the small things, how would we ever be seasoned and matured to be faithful in bigger things? And even here in Philadelphia, you're hearing Jesus say to this church, I know, right, so no one's gonna be able to shut this door. I have an open door for you, and I know that you have but little power. Oh, isn't that just a comforting word? Like, Jesus, God of all creation, looking at you. I'd be like, eh, weak sauce over here, right? I know you have, but just little power. And this isn't like a worldly weakness, but I believe it's a biblical weakness. And biblical weakness is good. That means a real strength. So 
So if you want to hold in Revelation, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Somebody already know where I'm going. Paul is writing and he's talking about his own ministry. He's talking about the, his own open doors of ministry that he's walking through, that he has walked through, that maybe there's even some that he needs to walk through. He's actually asking in a few of these books for an open door of ministry. And it's the very thing that's, he's in prison. And he's like, I am in prison for preaching the gospel. And he asks his friends, would you pray that God would give me more open doors of ministry to do this? When's the last time you've prayed for something that put you in prison? That's kind of a crazy thought. That's Paul. That's why Paul's weird and I love him, right? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He's, he's talking about some kind of interaction that he had with the Lord. But he said to me, now words written in red, this is Christ speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So if we go back that the, you know, listening to Billy Graham say that the will of God will not lead us where the grace of God will not sustain us. If you find yourself in a place where the grace of God is not sustaining you, you're probably in the wrong place. And you're standing out in the middle of nowhere asking for the grace of God to sustain you. And the greatest thing that you can do is move. Walk out of wherever that is and walk into the will of God. But how many times do we just run frolicking through the, yeah, I said frolicking too, through the woods and through the pastures and we just want God to bless everything that we do instead of seeking the Lord and saying, what is the open door that you have for me? Instead of us bringing our open doors to him, how about we look at him and say, what is the open door that you have for me? And it's not because of who I am, it's, I'm not looking, nor is the Lord, looking at my own strengths and abilities and what I bring to the table and say, oh, you should have this open door of ministry. Actually, the weaknesses of my life are the very thing that I do now. Some of you guys remember me talking about being in school. I hated when the teacher said, okay, everybody open up your books to whatever page. We're going to go around the room and everybody's going to read a paragraph. I did one of two things. First, I would look and see what number I was, and I'd count down the paragraphs, and I'd practice, make sure there wasn't any big words, and then try to fake how to pronounce them. And if, that, if, there was, if it was too bad, like this is going to be really, I would just wet myself, right? I mean, send myself to the office, right? You can't make a kid read that just wet his pants, right? That's torture. But my grace is sufficient for you. So even in my weakness, that's the greatest place to be. Because when I walk through that door, you know who gets all the glory? Not the weakling, but he who is strong. So my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yeah, when's that ministry going to happen where we all just open up and get real transparent with each other about how weak we are in some of the areas of our lives? and say, you know what, I'm absolutely horribly weak in this area of my life, and this is gonna be a great place that the strength of the Lord is gonna work. You know, that would take uh, some realness from us. But that's what Paul's saying. He goes, I'm gonna boast in those things. Like if you would ask some of my elementary teachers and be like, do you ever think Nick would be a public speaker? Nah, not at all. Oh, you know what he does? I know. 
that this isn't anything to do with me. If it, was, if it was God looking at me and saying, hey, Nick, what do you want to do with your life? I don't think this would have been it. I don't know if this would have been even on my top 10. But for the sake of Christ, verse 10, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, somebody that doesn't know the Lord and understand the grace of God would read a statement like that, or they would look at our lives as we live that out, and it would make no sense. It would be foolishness to them. We have to understand our weaknesses and know that those are great areas in which the strength and the grace of God wants to work in and through us, because it's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what he can do in us and through us. It's not about our ability or capability, but our dependability upon Jesus. Because God likes us with a little bit of a limp, right? Now, if you have a limp, I'm not making fun of you. But God likes us with a little bit of a limp, right? Not a strut, not a swagger. You know, it's not like in middle school when I had to roll up to a girl's locker and I was going to ask her to the dance. You know, you didn't just walk up. You had to have a swagger about that. That's not, no, no, no. That was, that's pride and arrogance, peacocking, right? God likes us with a limp. Think of Jacob. When Jacob was just scared literally to death, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, which I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. The day before, the night before, he's supposed to cross over and meet his brother, who the last words he heard of his brother is, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And well, that next time is going to be tomorrow morning. And so he's wrestling with the Lord. Anybody ever have a night where you just wrestle with the Lord? Yeah, that's a grace of God that he allows us to wrestle with him. And what I love about that story is what does the angel of the Lord do? Hits his hip socket and puts him out. So he has a little bit of a limp. And we don't know in scripture. I wish there was a little bit more about that. I wish Esau would have saw his brother limping up to him and say, what happened to you? You know, like I know you've been gone for a while. You've been working for quite a few years for both of those wives. You know, one's a, one's a, a little bit uglier than the other one. Hey, that's scripture, okay? Don't get mad at me. That's what the word says, okay? It's like, what happened there? Get hurt? Nah, he's wrestling with the Lord. And he likes us with a little bit of a limp because with every step, we need his strength that the pain that we have in our walk, it's to remind us that we continually need Jesus. We were up at my in-laws and on the refrigerator is a prayer that is written and I just kind of read it this week. It's been there for a while. I don't know why it stood out to me, almost like the Lord knew what he wanted to talk about this morning. And it said, Lord, let me never forget my need of you on my best days. Let it may it never be I only remember you on my worst days. Like I wanna remember you on my best just like I do on my worst days. And so the pain in our lives, the limp that we have is so we can be continually dependent upon Jesus. Because this church here in Philly, it wasn't a large church, it wasn't like the biggest church in town. It wasn't the strongest church. They didn't have the biggest budget where they're just sitting around like, you know, Uncle Scrooge sitting on bags of money and think, okay, what ministry could we do for the Lord? They were a faithful church. You know, and it, just call it what it is. You get a bunch of pastors in a room, you know, the first thing that we're gonna ask each other. So what are you running on a Sunday morning? First thing we're gonna do, start comparing 
even if we don't want to vocalize it, we're all kind of wondering it to our shame. And I'll say that publicly. And, and even friends and family that I have, they've seen what God is doing here at Calvary and they're wondering, you know, so what are you up to? Or, you know, how many people are you running? And I just want to say, instead of a large church or a strong church, I hope that when the Lord sees Calvary Chapel, Lake of the Ozarks, he would say, that's a faithful church. It doesn't matter how many services we're running. It doesn't matter how many butts are in seats. That is a faithful church church because faithfulness isn't walking just through one door there you go lord i walked through a door for you there you go now bless the rest of my life it's not walking through a couple doors but true biblical faithfulness is walking through every door that the lord sets before us and i know what you're thinking well pastor that's impossible welcome to the standard of christianity and what it means to walk with jesus that he never gives any ground to say, hey, I know you're not gonna do this, but I'm gonna give that to you anyway. And he's not testing us and being that mean bully where he's just gonna give us a bunch of doors and, oh, let's see how many you can do in two minutes. No. That every door that he sets before us, he gives us the grace to walk through it, but we have to understand that all of us have walked away from an open door of ministry because we've put our hope We've put our strength, we've put our fulfillment, we've put the purpose of our lives in something else than simply responding to Jesus in obedience. And again, some of those doors are really easy to walk through. You know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Some of those are easy doors. That's an easy door to walk through to serve in Cal Kids. That's an easy door to walk through to serve in the cafe. It's an easy door to walk through to serve on the parking lot team. You just don't let people get hit. Not a hard thing to do. Not a hard thing to do. But then there's other ministry doors that those are difficult to walk through. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Where that open door of ministry might bring to light a whole different context of what the ministry of presence is because maybe your spouse is going to get that phone call from that doctor, and that your life just got turned upside down. I mean, being the church in Philly, I had to do it. Where now you're gonna walk with a loved one through pain and through the valley of shadow of death. That's gonna be a hard open door of ministry for us. But understand that the grace of God is sufficient for you to walk through that. And so whatever that open door is, I I would highly encourage you before you leave even the campus or this week, take some time and reflection and prayer to really look at your life and seeking the Lord, asking what is that open door of ministry that you have for me right now? Because just like what we could study in the book of Esther, I love the words, such a time as this that he has created you for this time. None of us picked the time that we wanted to be born. Like 1985, not the year I would have picked, right? Mullets were popular. (laughs) Music, not that greatest. 85, probably not what I would have picked. Missouri, I call it misery for a reason, right? Why would you live here when you know Florida exists? But nobody, we, we don't get to pick that. Scripture tells us that God designs our borders and our boundaries. But such a time as this, that you are here for this season of life, and there is an open door of ministry that only you can walk through. 
And again, if all of us are followers of Jesus, all of us are on mission, and all of us are in ministry, and so all of us have that open door that is set before us. And so the Lord wants to see from us faithfulness. And this is what he tells this church in Philadelphia. You have this open door of ministry. I know you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have denied my name. He gives us two key aspects of what faithfulness looks like in our life, in our Christian walk. As we follow Jesus, what does faithfulness look like? Well, number one, keep my word. As we've been using a couple ortho words here recently, there's orthodoxy right doctrine, right teaching, right understanding, that we need to keep his word. John 8, 51, keep my word and you will never see death. John 14, 21, if you keep my commandments, right, it shows that you love me. So our expression of love unto the Lord is directly tied to our ability to keep his word. 1 John 2, 5, that if we keep his word in him, the love of God is perfected. It's matured in us. So we get to move along in maturity in our walk with Christ, that we get to gain this patient endurance that he's even telling this church in Philadelphia. Where does that come from? Keeping his word. And so we, as followers of Jesus, we need a healthy diet of the word of God. And how full are churches of people that have a mass great distaste for the word of God? Oh, I love Jesus, but man, the Bible's boring. No, you're boring. Bible's awesome. You're boring. Understand the context. I mean, you think of the psalmist. This is, this is not just a New Testament thing. This has always been something that the Lord would want to see and where faithful men have responded to the word of God. Psalm 119, the longest of all the psalms. It's 176 verses. Yeah, read that for your morning devotion, right? Almost every verse, there's only like a a few of them that do not refer to the word of God and our response to it. But every verse, almost every verse, is talking about the word of God, its statutes, its laws, it uses multiple words to describe the word of God and, and what it is unto us that we need to keep the word of God because this is what this is the truth that we need to understand. There is no church, Calvary Chapel, any of them, there's no church or man of God, now go personal, doing a great work of God that is weak in the word of God. And so if you see somebody that is doing a great work, work of God and he's very weak in the word of God, that's not a work of God. That God will never supersede and go around his word because you know what, I gotta have this guy in my ministry that if I don't do a mighty work through him, even though he doesn't have really a care or a passion for the word, he just has so many gifts and talents, that's blasphemous. That the Lord is gonna move in and through his special revelation, allowing the word of God to work in our hearts for the work that he has for us. But this is, Step one of walking through these open doors is we need to keep the word of God. And then the second aspect to a faithfulness of our life and our Christian walk following Jesus, so we keep his word, but we have not denied his name. So what he's looking at this church, he says, I know you have little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This means to live in a way that is faithful to the character of Jesus. 
So we keep his word for orthodoxy, but we live in a way that is faithful to the character of Jesus for orthopraxy. There's that other big fancy term. So we need to live our basic everyday lives, how we interact with those around us in every aspect of our lives. There's not, there's not one area of our life where the Lord will look at us and say, hey, you really don't need to worry about my character in this aspect of your life. Just sin it up and have a great time with it. Do whatever you want, it's fine. This is, you know, you get a hall pass here as long as you keep doing these few things for me. No, no, every area of our lives, we are to live faithfully to the character of Jesus. And one of the struggles that I have is that so few people in the world have an accurate view of Jesus because so many people misrepresent him. Understand what in the Ten Commandments, Let's just go there so I can say it right. Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, key things that you, can never, you, you always have to bring up. It's always in response to God being a redeemer, pulling them out of Egypt. And then in verse 7, Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord, Yahweh, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. A lot of times we read that and we think, oh, I just can't say Jesus Christ is a cuss word. That the Hebrew of understanding of what it means to take means to bear, to hold. So when we have not denied his name, it means that we, have, we need to bear the name of Jesus. We need to bear the name of God in an appropriate manner that how we live our lives faithful to his character, we are representing him to the world. And so if we are taking the name of God in vain, vain means to profane it. That's why we think profanity, but it means to make common. So if we are bearing the name of Jesus just in a common way and just acting like it's nothing, no, there needs to be reverence in this. And we need to live in a way knowing the reverence of who Christ is and what he's done for us. We need to bear that well. Because not only are we followers of Jesus, Paul says we're ambassadors of Christ. And we understand what an ambassador is. We have ambassadors that live in other countries in an embassy, and they represent the United States in other countries. Even that property in which they live is U.S. soil, and we defend it accordingly. I'm not going to get fired up about how people have defended it or not defended it in the past. Benghazi, but I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. This is the work of the Spirit right here, okay? But understand, we are ambassadors of Christ. Our citizenship, just like that ambassador, is in the United States. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are ambassadors. In this, our church, your home, is an embassy. That is the Lord's property for you to dwell in, to do his mission and his work. And so we need to represent him well. And so the challenge upon us to keep the name of God, not to deny it, is to, do not, to not allow our lifestyle to deny the name of Jesus. That it's not just what we say, but that is important, make sure we can, we can 
accurately represent the gospel through our words, but also how many times are people listening to the action of our lives? That regardless of which one they listen to, let it be our words or our actions, it should lead them to the gospel. They should see our lives being lived out and they would see the hope of Christ. But I don't want to go so far like uh, St. Francis of Assisi in like the 1500s. He said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. He almost had it. Just preach the gospel at all times. You have to use words. There's not enough good acts and actions that we could have that somebody would understand that Christ had died for them. But we need to live in a way because I believe that as we preach the gospel and we share the hope that we have in Christ, you know what our actions and our lives do? They verify the truth that we believe the gospel for our everyday life because there would be nothing more confusing to the world that doesn't know Jesus to hear us talk about the hope of Christ and live with very little impact of it in our everyday life. That we need both. We need that orthodoxy and the orthopraxy in our life as we hold to his word, we do not deny his name. The quote that's been just like, taking my lunch for the last couple of weeks, right? This is the work that God's doing in my life. Your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, right, should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. But how many times is it the other way that our lives cause non-believers to affirm their disbelief in God? Because if that's who those people are that are supposed to be following Jesus and that's what they say and that's how they live, why would I want anything to do with him? So when I encounter people that reject Jesus and I hear what they think of him, one of the, it really is fun to say and look at him and say, I reject him as well. And there's almost like a shocking to it, like did I just convert a Christian back to atheism? It's like, no, no, no. The same Jesus you reject, I reject. Could it possibly be that the Jesus that has been represented to you truly isn't him? that there's been a misrepresentation and the, and the struggles that you're having with him is good because I would have those same struggles, but that's really not Jesus. Could I show you through his word who Jesus truly is? And, and we have to answer that. The, well, then why do us as Christians get him wrong so many times? Because we still need the same grace of God in our lives is that the same grace that wants to transform your lives. And so we, we have to understand our, our lives should be lived out in a way that does not deny the name of Jesus. And I wish I had like story upon story of ways that this has been lived out even in my own personal life. I, I literally have one. I have one context of my life being lived out that makes a non-believer question their disbelief in God. I have a friend who is a homosexual. He is married to his husband. He actually came out to me at a church function. We were at a pizza place uh, and, and we took all of our students there and we were getting ready to go to somewhere else. We're sitting, we're having pizza, we're talking and he is sweating bullets. He's telling me how he's leaving the church and, he, and he's struggling with Jesus. And I said, well, why is that? What's going on in your life? 
I'm like, I'm not dumb, I knew what was going down, right? And he finally tells me, it's, well, it's because I'm gay. And I said, well, I'm straight, I'm gonna go get more pizza. Would you like pepperoni or sausage? Because you've been so nervous to say that to me, you haven't ate at all. And he was like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, there's pizza up there, do you want some? I'm going, I'll get you some pizza. He's like, you didn't respond how a normal Christian, especially a pastor, I would have thought would have responded. And I said, well, thankfully I'm not a normal pastor, I guess. Or I just really love pepperoni pizza. I ain't got time for this, buddy. No. And my challenge and my poke on him was, I get it. You're, You're struggling through that, but why are you walking away from Jesus? And he said, well, if everybody who loves him treats me this way because of my struggle with sexuality, why would I want anything to do with him? And that's when I said, have you ever thought that maybe that's been misrepresented to you, that Jesus still loves you even in your brokenness? Because he loves me in my brokenness. And even though our brokenness is different and our struggles are different, the grace of God is sufficient through it all. He was talking to a mutual friend that we have and they were talking about church and different things, and I've, I've continued to have those conversations with them, and it's, it's eye-opening on both sides. And he was talking to our mutual friend, and he said, you know, I've pretty much written off every church and every pastor but Nick. Greatest thing anybody's ever said to me as a pastor. I've written off everybody else but Nick. I don't know what to do with him. Why? Because I'm gonna keep pouring the love of God into his life. And he knows my stance, it's not that I'm soft on that biblical sin, no, like we don't even have to discuss it, we both know, but I still love him as a brother. And I'm gonna keep trying to love on him. And sometimes we talk about his sexuality, sometimes we talk about my sexuality, we talk about you know, the church and its response from both sides and how we've, we've done things well, we've done things not so well, we just keep leaning into it but I'm gonna keep living in such a way that I'm gonna, I want him to question his disbelief in God. And if that's just one little seed that's left that possibly could grow, let it be in, on the road, in, in choked out thistle, you know, weed, soil, or you know, rocks and it's shallow, I, I pray that one day it'll, it'll reach good soil and start to grow. Now obviously his life would tra- change drastically but that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I've just been called to be faithful unto the word of God and not to deny his name. And so Jesus says, you know, hey, this is happening. I know, like you compare it to Sardis where there's no persecution, there's no trials, and everything is smooth sailing and easy. He goes, I know I'm calling you to hold fast to my word and to my name, and that's in the midst of persecution. It's not in an absence of it, but in the very middle of it. What we see is Jesus says he will vindicate his church from the persecution of the Jews and even kind of goes broader to talk about how he will deliver them before the hour of trial. And, you know, we'll get into the whole tribulation, pre-rapture, mid-rapture, post-rapture, tribulation. I'll tick off half of you and it'll be great, right? We'll talk about that later. But Sardis had no persecution, no trials, but also, you know what they didn't have? Commendation from the Lord. That even in the midst of that, there wasn't one thing the Lord said, hey, you're doing a great job here. Just keep on, keep it on, buddy. No, but here in Philly, the great persecution and trials that they're under, like Jesus is even calling it, this is a synagogue of Satan. 
Like that's how almost organized it is as an attack against you. There is no condemnation. This is actually one of the greater of the seven churches. Jesus just gave encouragement that our lives are gonna be in the midst of persecution and suffering and trial, and sometimes that's the greatest place we can be. Why? Because his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so he says there in verse 11, I am coming soon. And we love reading that, being like, could it be tomorrow? It could be. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not gonna delay. I am coming soon. That's what those words mean. There's gonna be no delay in my return. You're not gonna have to sit and wonder, like, oh, is Jesus gonna make the bus? Is he really gonna get here? Is he gonna get caught up in traffic? Or, you know, is he gonna get here early? Like, hey, I was expecting you in five minutes. You showed up early. No, Jesus is gonna be right on time, exactly when he is called to return. And so I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. Continue in your walk. Some of us that are mature Christians that are walking with Christ, that are serving and we're in life groups and we are leading our lives appropriately. You know what the next thing you need to do with your life is? More of the same. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep following Jesus. There's no retirement in Christianity. Don't let up off the gas. And if you're a young man or young woman in your walk with the Lord, Understand, he wants patient endurance. It means we need to keep pace. We're not gonna let up, we're not gonna slow down. You know, running, running track and cross country, like one of my favorite races was the mile on the track, right? You had line all of us crazy guys up that were pretty much gonna dead sprint a mile, right? And the idea was just, if you could run until you puked, that's pretty much what you're doing. Like, how fast do I need to run? Until your insides are trying to become outsides. You know what I mean? The first lap of the race was a dead sprint, and we're all in a pack. Everybody could have the endurance to run at least a lap all out. And there was many times in the races that I would be dead last after the first lap. My coaches knew what was up, but my friends didn't. They're like, come on, Nick, you're dead last. Okay. Thankfully, the, laps four, or the mile is four laps, not one. Understand the race that we're in. But what separated the winners and the losers was how fast, how much you could maintain that speed. Hold fast to that. Don't let up. Press in. If anything, we always wanted our laps to be quicker each time, not slower. And I think the same for us and our faith. And so um, I don't mean to be the bear of bad news, but if you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, hey, uh, it's looking pretty rough, it's going downhill quick, well, understand, downhills usually pick up speed. They don't slow down. So if you're a little bit closer to that day than I am, or maybe I'm closer than you are, okay. But lean in. There's no retirement in Christianity. Keep pressing in to what it means to hold fast to his word and not denying his name. And he says, hold fast that you have so that no one may seize your crown. You know, last week in Sardis, we talked about how uh, Jesus said, I will never blot your name out of the book of life. And we talked about, you know, a little bit, can you lose your salvation or not? And a lot of times we hear verses like that and we run straight to salvation. So even here, somebody's gonna seize my crown. Does that mean I can lose? No, salvation is secure in Christ, period. 
but there is a reality of diminished fellowship that we could have with the Lord. And it is like any other friendship. You know, I haven't seen a few of my friends from my hometown for a while, and we're not as close. And we might even say things like that. Oh, you remember when we were so close? And we could have that same conversation with the Lord. Lord, remember when we were so close? Came back from camp on fire. Came back from that men's event. Came back from this and just on fire for the Lord. And I was in your word. I was praying and just, yeah, I just remember that. Remember when we were so close? And the Lord would say the same thing. Yeah, I do. I remember that. That's a conversation you really don't want to have with the Lord. Lord, what happened? Well, to the character of God, he cannot change because he's going to ask us the same thing. Yeah, what happened? Why'd you walk away? Why did you, you had that open door of ministry before you, but you put your hope and your fulfillment, your purpose, you put your value, your identity in something else. And so we have to understand we need to hold fast and keep pressing in because we don't want to diminish the fellowship with the Lord. We want to keep growing in the strength of our relationship with him. And the rewards, this is the part of the seven letters that I just, it cracks me up every time. because It's like, I have no idea what these are. But if the Lord is giving them to us, I'm down. For some reason, he says to us that, that if we will conquer and hold fast and keep his word, not deny his name, we just keep on in the way of life that we are in, in the midst of persecution and suffering, that we're going to make, he's going to make us a pillar in the temple of God. I don't know if that was really on my prayer request. Like, Lord, make me a pillar. I don't know if that's really something I've ever said before, but if the Lord is saying, I want to make you a pillar in that temple, that's what I want to do. And you think about the church, and even here at Calvary Chapel, some of you are pillars in the church. You are serving faithfully in multiple areas, that your lives, you've been walking with the Lord longer than I've even been alive. You are pillars of our church. I think at marriage night was the coolest time to see that. I started having couples, you know, you have to do that at a marriage night. Who's been married, you know, the soonest, who's, who's got the youngest marriage? And I think we had one, it was like four days. It's like, man, you're already coming to a marriage night after four days of being married? Like, you guys need help that quick? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> and then we were trying to do the who's been married the longest. I, I think at one point we had over five couples that had been married for more than 45 years that called Calvary their home. Those people are pillars to our church, serving faithfully, not just in the church and the responsibilities and the things that we have here, but just serving the Lord with their life, just being an example of commitment and dedication to us young cats, that me and my wife look at each other and it's like, as long as you don't kill me, I pray that'll be us, right? Like that could be us if you would just ease up. And then Jesus says, and I want to write on you the name of my God. And I want to write on you the name of the city of my God. And here's the baffling part. I have, I have zero theological understanding of what this means. And I want to write on you my own new name. So not only we get a new name, and he's going to write it on a white stone, and Jesus is going to get a new name, and he's going to write it on us. Well, what's that name? I don't know. But I'm kind of fond of tattoos, and if Jesus is doing, I got to believe he's the best tattoo artist ever, and if he's handing out tattoos for us that have conquered living this life for him, yeah, tat it up, let's go. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I know I say it a lot. I'm just going to go with the guy that walked out of the grave on this one, that if he who conquered death 
And that same spirit that lives in me raised him from the dead. If he's the one saying, hey, I have this for you, even though I lack great understanding of what that could be or is, I'm trusting the person and the character of God. And I know that God is a good father and Jesus is a giver of good gifts. And so if he's handing this out, I'm in. And so keep pressing in. Seriously take some time this week and say, what is that open door? And Lord, would you give me boldness and courage to walk through it? Keep his word. Like some of us need to get our weight up for an appetite of the word of God. There's so many resources, it's not even funny. So find me after service, I'll give you a half a dozen to get our appetite up for the word of God. And look at our lives and understand that we need to live our life in representation of who Christ is, that our lives matter. Conquer in this area of your life and see if he is not faithful to making you a pillar, writing some names on you to reward you in that. Hold fast. Don't let anybody take that away from you. It's gonna be in the midst of persecution. It's gonna be in the midst of suffering. It's gonna be in the midst of trial. But that's the best place that Jesus wants us because if we're fully dependent upon him, what greater place is there to be than into the hands of our Savior? So Father, we love you. We trust you, Lord. As a, as a church, corporately, as a, this community of faith, we ask, what is our next open door of ministry, Lord? How would you use us in this little church where we might not be strong or powerful or rich or anything like that, but Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. How would you use this faithful church to bring an awareness of who you are? to extend invitations into a relationship with you, to grow people's walk with you. Lord, how would you use us? What is this open door that you have? And even us personally. We just turn our eyes to you, Jesus. We put our hope and our trust that you would lead and guide and you would reveal that to each and every one of us. But Lord, put your hand upon us. Give us strength that we would hold fast to your word, that we would live in such a way that represents you well, that we would be ambassadors of you, Jesus. And in the midst of pain and trial and hurt and suffering, Lord, I pray we would just hold fast. Pour out your spirit on us for that. We love you, we trust you, we pray this in your name. And everybody said,